It's so good to sing praises to our Lord, and it's so good to be reminded um, on a regular basis that uh, we have good news. Amen? We have good news. We, we have a, a, a message that this whole world uh, should hear. We have a message that we just simply should not, cannot keep to ourselves. We have a message that uh, if, if others would believe, they would be saved, saved forever. And so we have joy. We have thanksgiving. We have a God worth praising. We have a God worth living for. We have a God worth dying for. Amen? Amen. Y'all are tired. See, y'all, you see, it's one thing when you're wearing masks. And and you can and you can do that, but when the masks are off, I see all of y'all now. I, I see it all. So we we have a gospel worth living for, and we have a gospel worth dying for. Amen. Amen. There we go. I can see it now. All right. Well, the uh, passage that we have this morning is not uh, a, a a stranger to any uh, of us that have been in the scriptures. Uh, for a while, it's it's one of those anchor texts uh, for for so many people, so many of our brothers and sisters, even those who have gone before us, uh, have come to this passage. It's where Paul declares in Romans one. If you're not there yet, uh, turn to Romans one. And in Romans one verses sixteen and seventeen, Paul says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel." Do y'all see it there? Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And let's pray that God would, would move in us so that we could declare, just as the apostle declared nearly 2,000 years ago, that we too are unashamed of this gospel. Let's pray that God would uh, work in us and cultivate in us uh, this same resolve that was in the Apostle Paul, that we too would be unashamed. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would do just that, that you would move in us and among us and cultivate in us all this rock-solid confidence in the gospel that we would be ashamed of nothing that we would be bold, as, as Paul said in the previous verses, that we would be eager to preach this gospel, not only to the unsaved, but to the saved, not only to those outside of Christ, but also to those in Christ. We need this gospel. And you have entrusted it to us to share with our neighbors and with the nations. So, Lord, I pray that you would work in us. I pray that you would cultivate this in us. And I pray, Father, that, that we would leave out of here um, so moved by what you have done for us in the gospel that, that we can't help but spread this gospel as far as we can to as many people as we can while you would still give us breath. Lord, I, I'm sure that there are some that are here today that, that don't get it. There are some that are here that don't believe. They 
They don't know why we would be unashamed of the gospel. Uh, as, as far as they're concerned, there's every reason to be shamed uh, for this gospel. And Father, I pray uh, that as uh, your word goes forth, that your Holy Spirit would so move that they would see the gospel as it is. They would turn from their sin. They would turn from their false saviors and they would turn to the only one who could save, the one true living God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask big things because you're a big God and you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So we ask, Lord, that you would have your way. Magnify Christ. And may we praise his name forever and ever. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. We certainly love that line, don't we? Uh, you have gospel artists and Christian musicians from Andre Crouch to the Newsboys to Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir uh, to even Lecrae and the 116 Click uh, who have all declared over the decades and even far beyond them centuries upon centuries of believers that have said we are not ashamed of this gospel. We love it when Paul says that. But why would he say that? Why would Paul, in this point in Romans, right off the, off the, uh, off the jump, why would he say, I am not ashamed of the gospel? Well, you look at the verses before, in verses 13 to 15, he, he said that he hopes to reap a harvest among the Romans and among the rest of the Gentile world. So he's a debtor to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish. And his eagerness to preach the gospel, it says, is from the fact that he is unashamed of the gospel in verse 16. The reason that I am a debtor, the reason that I am eager is because I'm unashamed of this gospel. Why would you say that though, Paul? I mean, think about the categories that he, that he just gave here in verses 14 and 15. Should, shouldn't he feel a little bit ashamed sharing the gospel in these different contexts? The Romans were, were the dominant political force of Paul's day. But the Greeks still dominated the culture. You think about the Corinthian columns. You think of the Olympic Games. The theater. The literature. I mean, the Greeks were an incredibly civilized culture. And they were very much versed in education. Mathematics came from the Greeks. They were the ones who, who, who developed it more than anyone else. Uh, medicine. You think of uh, uh, medicine even as we think of it today. You have uh, folks who are in the medical field where they give the Hippocratic Oath. Y'all heard of that before? Uh, well, Hippocrates was a Greek, all right? Uh, we got the oath from a Greek man. Uh, philosophy, we could talk of Aristotle, we could talk of Plato, we could talk of Socrates, and all. they were all Greeks. Literary criticism, Aristotle wrote a book called Poetics, which was one of the first, if not the first book on literary criticism. He was Greek. 
uh, political theory. You can talk about uh, Plato and, and the different uh, works that he did on politics. And, and of course, we, we can talk about Greek mythology and all of that, even some that are Marvel superheroes today. Greek culture uh, 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 dominated the modern world at the time. These guys were the top dogs. And so how could Paul not feel ashamed sharing the gospel to the Greeks? I mean, these are the Greeks. They're the intellectuals. They're the elite. They're the sophisticated, right? They're not going to listen to a message from a Jewish seminarian about a Jewish god who, who sent his, his son to, uh, uh, to be the Jewish king and to die and rise again. All of that would have been laughable to the Greeks. And we know that it would have been laughable to the Greeks because in Acts 17, they literally laughed at Paul. They literally laughed him out of Athens when he came and preached this message. So how could Paul not be ashamed? He says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Or what about the other category here, the barbarians? The Greeks named them that. <laughs> Basically, everybody who's not Greek, they call barbarians. And, and it was because they said that uh, their language just sounded like bar, bar, bar. Like they just hear them, you know, kind of like when our day, how we would say blah, 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 right? So, so these, they looked at the, whole, the rest of the world, the non-Greeks in the world, as the blah, blah, blah people, Right? The barbarians. They're, they're, but it wasn't just a term about their difference in language. It was also a term of their difference in culture. You see, the Greeks were the sophisticated ones. The barbarians, well, they were barbarians. They're, they're the uncivilized, the uncultured, the uneducated. You know, they, they would go around and, uh, you know, they would, they would pillage towns and so on. They, they, they were violent people. They... They didn't go to the schools like the Greeks did. They, they came from the school of hard knocks, if you will. So, Paul, why would you not be ashamed to take the gospel there? Go and you start telling them about Jesus and telling them that their gods are not the real gods and so on. They will beat you. They're the type that don't uh, settle disagreements with words. They settle disagreements with swords. Paul, of course, in his body, he bore the scars from the beatings and the injuries that he had accumulated over years of ministry. Yet here's Paul saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. How could he say that? How could any of us say that? I mean, after all, we, we have an obligation, just like Paul. We have a mission, just like Paul. It's the same mission to take the gospel to all peoples. We got to go to the sticks. We got to go to the suburbs. We got to go to the hood. We must share the gospel at the white-collar and the blue-collar jobs. We, we've got to go to the universities and to the community colleges, and, and we've got to go to the gated communities and to the Section 8 communities. We've got to take the gospel to the Prius drivers and the lowriders. 
We've got to take the gospel not only to everyone in this nation, but we also have to go to all nations with the gospel. We share the same mission. We've inherited this mission from Paul and every successive generation of Christians before us. And now the ball is in our court. The gospel has been entrusted to us. But we know that in most every situation where we share the gospel, we're going to be shamed, aren't we? You feel this every time you hesitate to share the gospel with your friends and your neighbors and your loved ones, don't you? I'm sure you've had that situation where, where it, was, it was the moment. This was it. It's go time, right? Now's the time for me to share the gospel. And, and, and you get there and you say, so how about them Panthers, right? You, 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 were, you were about to, this was the moment to share the gospel and, and we balk. Why? Well, it's not because we don't know the gospel, but we certainly know it. It's not because the opportunity didn't arise. It did arise. But it was in that moment that you probably thought, what's going to happen if I share this gospel? What will the reaction be? What will they say in response? Am I ready to answer the question that they're going to ask me? Some type of question that's supposed to end the conversation? Am, am, am I ready to deal with the, the, the blowback when they, you know, when they get upset at me for, for bringing religion into the conversation? Am, am, I, am I ready to, uh, uh, to deal with the awkwardness the next time we see each other and make eye contact in the hallway and they keep on moving and they don't want to talk to me anymore? Am I, am I ready for all of this? And at that moment, you say, you know what? It's better for me not to go there. What that feeling is, please listen. What that feeling is, shame. That's what that is. It's shame that says to us, you know what, maybe I shouldn't share the gospel right now. Because, you know, I don't want to deal with all the awkwardness, and I don't want to deal with, the... no, what you're saying is, I don't want to deal with the shame. Yeah. And yet, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So why, for Paul, could he say, I am not ashamed of the gospel? And how can we join in with Paul to say, we're not ashamed of the gospel either? The opposite of shame is honor, right? The opposite of shame is honor. And so... How can we turn from being ashamed of the gospel or feeling a sense of embarrassment to share the gospel or feeling a sense of awkwardness when we share the gospel to, to considering it an honor to share the gospel, to considering it our greatest joy to, to, to share this with you, to say this is my, my, my every joy and pleasure to give the gospel to you. Okay? To say, I love my Lord and I love you too much for me to keep this to myself. I've got to tell you this because if I don't tell you this, I don't care about you as much as I say that I do. I, I have to give this to you. You must hear this and you must believe. 
How do we turn from it being a shameful moment to being an honor and a joy and a pleasure? What Paul's going to show us here in these two verses, verses 16 and 17, Paul is going to show us that the gospel becomes an honor for us when we understand what the gospel is capable of. Did y'all catch that? The gospel becomes an honor for us and no longer a shame for us when we begin to understand what the gospel is capable of. Right? Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because Paul understands. It's gripped his heart and gripped his mind and gripped his soul. He understands what the gospel is capable of. And so he says, it's no longer an embarrassment for me. I, I'm not embarrassed to go into the hard places. And I'm not embarrassed to talk to hard people. I'm not embarrassed to get a few hard knocks along the way. I'm not embarrassed about any of that because it is my joy to unleash the gospel. It's my joy for you to know what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And, and, and there is no greater privilege on the earth than for me to share with you what our Lord has done. It's when he understood what the gospel was capable of that he no longer felt shame for this gospel. So this is what I want you to see here. I want you to get this. I want you to embrace this so that you would feel in the depths of your soul no longer any shame, but deep, deep honor and deep, deep pleasure in the gospel and sharing it with others. Okay? So there are two things that he does here. Two things that he says. And if you notice, in both of them, it begins with the word for. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For. Y'all see that in verse 16? I'm not ashamed of the gospel for, and then in verse 17, he says, for, again. Now, we're going to get into uh, a little bit of grammar class here, all right? How many of you guys loved English in high school and, and, and grade school and all of that? All right. How many of you are not elect? Um, no, I'm playing. I'm playing. Um, <laughs> for those of you who 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 were uh, who struggled with English class and everything, I'm going to I'm going to keep this really simple. Okay, when you see for, and it's not a preposition, it's a conjunction. I know I lost y'all already, but but <laughs> but when when it's a when it's the beginning of a phrase or a clause, so for blah blah blah, not like you know. Um, I went to uh, the grocery store for a gallon of milk. That's a preposition. But I went to the grocery store for, and he told me to go get a, a, a gallon of milk. That for is a conjunction. So that, that, that's the for that we have here, okay? When you see that for, for answers the question, why? Okay? Let, let, me, let me hear that. When you see for, it's answering the question, why? Okay, so Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And the question that he expects you to ask, ask is, why, Paul? Why are you not ashamed of the gospel? Okay, and then in verse 17, after he says why he's not ashamed of the gospel, he expects you to ask again, why? So why that? All right, so I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Here's my reason. Okay, well, why is that the case? Here's the reason for that in verse 17, all right? We're cool? 
Alright, so here's the first one. I am not ashamed of the gospel, and therefore we should not be ashamed, but we should be honored uh, uh, for the gospel because or for it is God's saving strength. The gospel is God's saving strength. Look at that. It says there in verse 16, it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Okay? So start there. It is the power of God unto salvation. All right? So it, it, uh, the gospel, first off, the gospel is God's saving strength. Now, if you notice, I said, and I tried to capture what Paul says here when he says, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. Not it contains the power of God. Or it tells us about the power of God. It explains the power of God. No, the gospel itself is the power of God for salvation. Okay? So, before we can even get into that, we maybe have to establish, first off, that we all need salvation. We need saving. Okay? We live in a very autonomous individualistic world and and we've got a bunch of people who think that they know uh, uh, they know everything right you, know, you don't have to tell anybody anything I, I already know this I went on YouTube and I got all the answers that I need right uh, th this is this is the world that we live in don't tell me what to do you know I know what's best for me don't, don't even tell me if I'm a male or a female or anything like that. I, I, Annie was telling me how there are certain places where, where they're even pushing uh, in the delivery room. In the delivery room. That you cannot say in the delivery room if the baby is a boy or a girl or not. And, and, and this is the world that we live in. Why? Because, well, it's not for you to decide whether it's a boy or a, or a girl. It's for the baby to decide whether the baby is a boy or a girl. I don't know about you, but from what I've heard, when I came out of the womb, my parents uh, uh, said that my first word was, ah! That was my first word out of the womb. And so I don't think I was in the mental capacity yet to declare whether I was a male or a female or anything like that. But why are we going there? We're going there because we are so gripped by the idol of autonomy and individualism that even to the very core of our beings, if I could say from a metaphysical sense, the, the isness of us, we say, nobody can tell me anything about me but me. That's the world we live in. And in that world, we say, I don't need any saving. In fact, if I need any saving, I need salvation from you. Because you're repressing me. You're holding me back from my true inner self. I need to, I need to be free from all these chains and free from all these restrictions and free from all these boundaries, free to be me. That's the only salvation in the world. Please understand, if that is you, someone has lied to you. Someone has truly lied to you. The worst thing about you is not society. And this is going to hurt. This is why we feel shame when we hear the gospel. 
the worst thing about you, according to the scriptures, is you. The worst thing about you is you. We have hearts that are wicked. We have hearts that want to rule ourselves. God created us to rule under his authority, to rule over the earth and to use it for his glory and for his renown. And we have kicked against that and said, no, I want to be the top dog. I'm the alpha in all of this. I'm going to do what I want to do and nobody's going to stop me. And we see it in so many different iterations. We see it in so many different forms. It, it, it is the air that we breathe as humans fallen and separated from God. All of us need saving. We need saving from ourselves because we would rather hear the lie and own the lie than we would own the truth. Next week, we're going to hear so much more about that. Paul spends three chapters developing the fact that we are in deep, deep trouble because we are so bent away from God and bent inward that all we think about is us. Think about this. Y'all do this. Every one of us does this, okay? Adults, you do this on the road every day. Oh, yeah. You're driving. And somebody cuts you off. What'd you do that for? Honk, honk, right? Like, like this road was made for you and only for you. And like nobody else has to go anywhere, <laughs> right? And in that moment, we go, I'm the center of the universe and you blocked me from my destination. You are an obstacle in my way and I will bury you, <laughs> right? That's what we do. Kids, you do the same thing. You're playing your video game and you can't make it to the next level. And you're yelling for all the neighborhood to hear. Ah, I hate you. I hate this game. Everything is terrible. And you just throw it away. Why? Because there's something that got in your way. And of course, in the video game world, you're the main character. You're the center of the universe. And if you're not careful, you turn that video game off and you go downstairs and you still think that you're the center of the universe. Right? And so what, what's going on? Whether you're a child, whether you're an adult, we all are, are in, uh, 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 um, we're, we're myopic, if you will. We, we only see as far as the mirror. That's all that we can see. As far as we're concerned, the world revolves around us, and that's why we need saving. All of us need saving. Here's the difficult thing. All of us need saving and not a single one of us can save ourselves. That's tough. You thought it was offensive to hear that you needed saving. Just think about how even more offensive it is to say you can't save yourself. You can't do it. None of us can. None of us has the power to save ourselves. Why not? Well, none of us has the power to save ourselves because none of us is capable of doing the very thing that is necessary for our salvation. We can't do it. And so this is what we do. We lie to ourselves. We, we fill our lives with substitutes, right? Oh, if I could just be successful at work, then all my life is okay. 
If I could just have a nice retirement, then everything is going to be okay. If I have kids that are somewhat normal, I'll be okay. If I, if I, if I could have a, my retirement home, if I could live out in the beach, you know, or over by the lake or something and just spend the rest of my days fishing or rest of my days sitting, rocking on my rocking chair. If I, if I could have, you know, enough money, you know, that I can go on vacations all over the world, you know, all of that. If I could have good health and I can have the best insurance so that I can prolong my life for decades and decades to come and maybe even make it into my hundreds. If I could do all of those different things and life will be fine. All of those things are great for this life and then you still die. And when you die, not a single one of those things is going to help you. You cannot save yourself. You cannot save yourself. But there is a God who can save you. There is a God in heaven. In fact, the very one that we will stand before at the end of days, the one that all of our fighting against and all of our rebellion and all that has been an offense to him. And this God in his mercy has said, I am going to save you and I'm going to save you from myself. I'm going to save you by myself. I'm going to save you for myself. I am the only one that can do it. And in my grace, because I love you and because I love my name and I want to magnify my name in such a way that, that, that I will be glorified as your savior and not simply as your judge. This God moved for us. He came to rescue us. He came to free us from ourselves, to free us from our desires, to free us from the curse of death. He is the one who has taken our place as our great and our only Savior. This is the good news. The only one who is able to save us is God, and he has through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation. And here's where Paul, you know, for, for the Jewish audience, they're looking at Paul and they're going, Paul's gone completely off the rails now. Because Paul's going to say that this gospel is the power of God for everyone who believes. Oh, this is cool. He's for everyone who believes, for the Jew first. And what they, you know, we got to give them first dibs. You know, they're the ones who were the children of Abraham. They're the ones who received the Torah. They're the ones who received the promises. They're the ones who received the covenants. They're the ones, you know, that when we say Messiah, we're speaking their language. All right. Mashiach is Hebrew. It's, it's, it, it, he's theirs first. Okay. But he's also the savior for all of the world. By the way, as a little side note, this is why. I hope when you see the things that are going on in the Middle East, you weep and you pray. Because this is once again the nations raging. It's once again the children of Abraham that are raging and, and are crying out. And they want a savior, but they've rejected the one who came. We'll see that in chapters 9, 10, and 11. Uh, the struggles that go on there and, and how all of that, even their rejection is a part of God's plan. Not only to get the gospel to the Gentiles, but as he says in chapter 11, it's even God's plan to bring them to himself as well. And so we've got to, we're going to deal with that when we get into those chapters. But, but when you're watching this stuff on the news, I hope you pray, God, save Israel. God, save them. Bring them to Christ. Change their lives. 
May they bend their knee to, Mesh- to Messiah, to the only Christ who, is, uh, who has come to save. But he's not only for the Jews first, he's also to the Greek. <laughs> and for the Greeks, for the barbarians, for the wise, for the foolish that he mentioned in verses 14 and 15. That means then, if this is God's power to save, if, God's, if the power to save does not come from us within ourselves, but it comes from God who has mercy on us, then that means that any single one of us can be saved. If you would trust in the one and only Savior that God has provided for us, you can be saved. You don't have to be Jewish to be saved. All of us Gentiles say, Amen. You don't have to be Jewish to be saved. Here's something, though, that's really cool, too. You don't have to be Greek. You don't have to be Roman. You don't have to be white. Hold on, I just need need to dance a little bit. (laughs) You don't have to be black. You don't have to be Hispanic, Mexican, Brazilian. You don't have to be Korean. You don't have to be Indonesian or No, you don't have to jump through any ethnic hoops to come to Jesus. The only way to come to God and find his salvation is by you putting your trust and your faith in Jesus. And that means then that anybody can be saved if they come to faith in Christ. And that also means then that we have an obligation to get this gospel everywhere. If this gospel is available for anyone, then we've got to get this gospel to everyone. I'm not ashamed. Why would I be ashamed of the power of God? (laughs) Why would I be ashamed of God's saving strength? This is the best news anybody could hear. This is the news that will change anyone's life. Well, we said that that was the reason that Paul was unashamed of the gospel. Now we got to ask the second question, which is, why is this God's saving strength? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because... It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Well, why is it the power of God for salvation? That's, that's, the, that's the question that Paul expects you to ask. You can't just say it. There, there's got to be something under it. There's got to be a pillar to support it. So what is it about this gospel that makes it the saving power of God? Well, not only is it God's saving strength, but we find next that it is God's revealed righteousness what he says in verse 17 for in it the righteousness of god is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith okay so so what's going on here in it the righteousness of god is revealed well let's go back to the beginning we said we all need saving well, we all need saving because we're all unrighteous before God. The next passage, as I said before, Paul begins his argument to demonstrate that every single one of us is unrighteous before God. From chapter 1, verse 18, going all the way into chapter 3, it's painful. Don't skip, all right? Don't, don't, don't skip this section in your reading and your meditation. Don't skip this section on, uh, and don't skip a Sunday. You know, come and hear this preached over you 
week in and week out. There's a big, big problem with us. We are unrighteous in every single way, shape, and form. And that is true of all of us. None of us is righteous, as he says in 310. There is none righteous, no, not one. None of us can make ourselves righteous before God. There are a lot of people that say, well, you can start over. You can turn over a new leaf. You can, you know, today is the day to a new and better you. You, you go into the bookstore and you get the, the, into the self-help section and, and you can see all the, all the people that, that are saying this. Go and turn on PBS on Saturdays. <laughs> and, and, and you see these, these, uh, 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 these big you know, self-help sessions, Tony Robbins and, and, and all these other folks. You, know, you can turn on even some preachers on Sunday morning. You turn them on TV and they're going, God loves you and you're wonderful and there's nothing wrong with you ever. Let's all hug. You know, and you get all that over and over and over and over and over again. And what they're saying is you are able to fix you and you're not able to fix you. You have already sinned. God demands perfect righteousness. So if you've already sinned once, you've blown it. You can't say, well, I'm going to start over today. There is no starting over today. The record's already done. It's over. You cannot be righteous on your own before God. And so you say, so then what's, what's up for me? Well, what's up for you is the judgment of God. Because he is a righteous and just judge. And he must punish sin. And so there, there's no way that you can get out from under this unless the judge is able to pass over the judgment. But you say, well, how can he do that and still be just? Well, then somebody's going to have to serve the sentence then. Well, then who's going to serve the sentence if all of us are unrighteous? All of us are guilty. All of us are deserving of, of, the, of the penalty. So, so how can this happen? It can only happen if there is one who would appear who does not have a guilty uh, sentence. If there's one who has done perfect righteousness, then he can come and he can take our place and all that. Do you understand all the things that have to be in place in order for you to be saved? God has done all of this in Christ. <laughs> this is too good to be true, and yet it's so true. God has taken his son. His son has lived the righteousness that we could not live, and he took the penalty that we could not bear on our own. And by doing so, again, think about all this. He had, for him to be a perfectly righteous person, he's God, okay? For him to take our place, he must be the most loving being in the universe. Why in the world would somebody do that? Why would somebody do that for me? Why would someone do that for you? Except for love. It was for love. And so here he is taking the penalty for our sin, taking all of our unrighteousness and putting it on his shoulders and saying, I've got this one for you. And then God takes his righteousness and he gives it to us as a gift. We'll see that in chapter three. And as we get that gift, now God looks at us and he doesn't see the unrighteousness that we have done. He sees all the righteousness that Jesus has done and he declares us just. 
For God the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me, as we say. God has revealed his righteousness to us. And he reveals his righteousness to us in his son. I can't teach this, this passage without telling you a little story about a monk, a German monk named Martin, Martin Luther. Luther was a, a noble monk. He had a little bit of a drinking problem, but that's a different story. Um, he, he, had, he, he wanted to be a, a good, righteous monk, and and yet he struggled because he knew deep, deep, deep that he was not righteous. He wasn't. And for a moment, he had a bit of a struggle in his relationship with the Lord. In fact, if you read some of his writings, he actually said uh, during his days of monk, as a monk that there was a moment where he hated God. The Catholic monk hated God. Why did he hate God? Because he thought the system was rigged. Think, this is his logic. You require of us perfect righteousness, knowing that we cannot be perfect, and then you punish us for it. What's up with that? So Luther wrestled with this, where he said, it seems like the system is rigged against me. It seems like, you know, I'm... I, you require of me what I cannot be and I cannot do, and then you punish me for not being what I could never be. And he wrestled with this, and he said, I don't understand this. This makes no sense. How can I be righteous before God? There was one moment as he was wrestling with this and the despair and the anger and the frustration of all of this. And he was asked to teach some of the younger guys the book of Romans. And he got to this section, Romans 1, 16 and 17. And when he read verse 17, it's like the light bulb came on. Wait a second. The righteousness that you require of me is the righteousness that you Give to me. Did y'all catch that? The righteousness that God requires is the righteousness that God provides. Luther went on to call this an alien righteousness. Not alien like, you know, coming from a UFO or something like that. But it's a, it's a righteousness that comes from outside of me. See? The righteousness that God requires of me cannot be accomplished inside of me. It can't come from, from the inside out. It's impossible. I've already ruined that. So God in his grace brings righteousness from outside of me and places it on the inside of me through the personal work of his, Christ, of his son, Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you all catch what's going on here? So when God declares us righteous, he doesn't declare us righteous on the basis of our righteousness, but on the basis of Christ's righteousness. And he is so pleased to place that righteousness on our account and call us everything that he would, that he would say about his son, he would say about us, because we are covered with the very righteousness of his son. That is as good of news as anything you could hear. Sinners, you and me both, 
we can be righteous before God. Do you see this community? You know about the brokenness here in the community. You know about the brokenness in the triangle. You know about the brokenness in America. You know about the brokenness among all the nations. It doesn't have to stay that way. And in God's grace, it will not stay that way. You have the good news. You can go to your neighbors and tell them, hey, is your life messed up? <laughs> There's good news. I know a God that can make all things new. Are you, are you ashamed about your record? Are you ashamed about the things that you've done in your life and all that? Hey, 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 you don't have to live in that shame forever. You don't have to live in that despair forever. There is a God who has sent his son to cover you with his righteousness from now on and for all of eternity. When God looks at you, he can see the perfection of his son and he will bless you forever. <laughs> are, 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 you, are you living with that yourself? You say, well, well you know, I'm, I'm a mess. I, I've made a mess of my life and all of that. I can never move away from that. No matter how much I hear about grace, I always think about my past. Let your past move you to marvel at the grace and the love of our Lord that he would still bring you in, take off your unrighteousness, clothe you with his son's righteousness and bless you as his son and as his daughter forever. You can live in the righteousness of Christ forever. That's why this is the power of God to save. It's the power of God to save because it deals with our deepest problem, our unrighteousness before God. And he makes us righteous and he welcomes us into his family and we have all the blessings of salvation forever church we have nothing to be ashamed of this is the message of salvation this is the good news god has given us a savior god has given us his righteousness through this savior you don't have to live this way anymore you can be free anyone can be free if they would come to faith in the lord jesus christ through this message that we preach so for you are you ashamed when you have that moment and you get to share the gospel you have that temptation to hesitate Stop and think about what this gospel is capable of. You hear the stories of your neighbors or your family or your friends. You hear of the ways that their lives have been devastated by sin, either their own and the sins committed against them. You have the message that changes everything. You have nothing to be ashamed of. It is an honor to be a part of God's great work of gathering his people to himself. Share the gospel without fear and without shame and let this message do what only God can do. Save sinners through the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your people today. This gospel that has changed our lives. 
would be the anchor for our souls and the joy of our hearts. That we would share this gospel to everyone that we can. And that we would do so without shame. We would do so without fear or hesitation because we know what the gospel is capable of. It is your saving strength. It is your revealed righteousness. This is good news. Father, I pray that, that we would feel the burden that Paul felt. We would not hesitate. We must tell others about Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this church and I thank you for uh, how you are equipping us, shaping us for this gospel message. May you continue to do so and may we be faithful all the way to the end. And Lord, as I prayed earlier, I know that there are some who may be here that, that don't believe in this message. Lord, I pray that, that, that you have spoken to them. That you have penetrated their hearts and their minds with the reality of this gospel. There are some who, who may be here who think that they can save themselves. But you are the only one mighty to save. May they trust in you. There are some who may be thinking that, 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 that they're, they're able to turn their own lives around and they're able to, to climb themselves out of the hole that they've dug themselves in. And, and, and Lord, there's no way they can do that. There's only one who is perfectly righteous and he's Christ. May they trust in his righteousness. And may they lay aside their empty sense of self-righteousness. That they may be covered, covered by Christ. Right now, as, as we uh, are meditating on this, I, I ask that, that you would stop and think. If there are some of you here who are, who are hesitant to share the gospel, I want you to hear again what Paul said. I want you to ask, what greater honor do we have than to tell others about our Savior? I want you to pray right now that God would give you this confidence and boldness to share the, the gospel of Christ with your friends and your neighbors. If you are here and you do not believe, why would you turn away from such a good salvation? There's no other way that you can be saved except through Christ. So today, turn from your sin. Turn from your sense of fixing it on your own. And trust the only God who can save you. Let's take time now and reflect on what the Lord has said to us.